Welcome to Transforming the College Classroom. This is a podcast for anyone who's interested in taking up teaching and learning in higher education from a social justice-informed perspective in ways that are centered on a deep commitment to teaching all students. My name is Nana Osei-Kofi. I'm director of the Difference, Power, and Discrimination Program at Oregon State University, and I'm also associate professor of Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies. I'm Callie Furman. I'm a postdoctoral scholar with the Difference, Power, and Discrimination Program. And I'm Bradley Boovey, associate professor in the School of Language, Culture, and Society at Oregon State and co-facilitator with Nana of the DPD Summer Academy, where we work with faculty who are developing and teaching DPD courses. We're recording this at Oregon State University in Corvallis, Oregon, located within the traditional homelands of the Marys River or Ampanefu Band of Kalapuya. Following the Willamette Valley Treaty of 1855, Kalapuya people were forcibly removed to reservations in Western Oregon. Today, living descendants of these people are a part of the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde Community of Oregon and the Confederated Tribes of the Siletz Indians. Welcome. Today, Bradley and I are here with our guest, Dr. Nache Barnd. Nache, welcome. We're really excited to have you on the podcast today. And to get us started, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hi. Hi, um, So <laughs> happy to be here with you all in particular. Um, so I'm an associate professor of ethnic studies and Native American studies at Oregon State University. I'm currently the equivalent of our chair of the department, and um, I guess I'm the editor of the Ethnic Studies Review Journal, which is a big um, kind of relatively new uh, position I'm holding and excited about. So Awesome. Awesome, yeah. Great. So glad you're here with us today. Happy to be here. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about your chapter. It's in the first section um, of the book, um, Transformative Approaches to Social Justice Education. Um, so yeah, just, just tell us a little bit about what's, you know, the, the, the kind of content, but then also what your, what the kind of pedagogical, um, kind of social justice pedagogies that kind of underlie the, the chapter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the chapter is called Scripting Change. So I thought maybe I'll start, start there, start with the title. And, you know, the title is intentional in some ways, right? It's, it's about using script, literally, like we're creating and writing stories um, in order to make change. But we're also trying to change the script, right, which is the <laughs> sort of the dominant scripts about this place and our experiences here and all the variety of stories and experiences people have had across time in this location, right? So um, so I thought, you know, having something like that that has kind of these two meanings is really important because it's this back and forth process, which is what we were trying to engage in. So the chapter is really an explanation of this particular course that leads to this project called the Social Justice Tour of Corvallis. And it comes from this class. It's a research and uh, research methods course um, that I've been doing now for many years. Um, and so the chapter is kind of a story of what that project is and what that class looks like, but also a template for how you might do something similar to this, or how do you engage with archives, and how do you engage with history and the past and story? And um, I think it's hard. In some ways, it's hard to talk about this chapter. I always have a really hard time explaining it. Uh, this chapter and the project because it involves, as you mentioned, pedagogy, research, community engagement. It's got retention and sort of student development. It's got a social justice angle to it, um, which is really critical. Um, and it does all those things kind of simultaneously, and it's rooted in things like space and geography, which are some of the areas that I'm really interested in. So 
Um, that's a quick in, uh, shot on the you know what the what the chapter is um, and what I try to do with it. Can I just I just want to because I, I love um, hearing you reflect on the on the title of the course and scripting change and I think also just um, for our listeners right to give, maybe give them a sense of what these social justice tours wind up looking like. Mm-hmm. One of the things so I've been on a few of them now. Um, and how many have you done in total? Like so you you, know, you teach the class but then you actually have the the, the tours yeah. as part of the class. How many right. are you at now? So we've done a total of six distinct courses slash tours yeah. and when you've done. In terms of delivering actual tours, I don't know. There's yeah, probably been true. 30 of them or okay, something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're really great. And so I think, um, you know, uh, for, for folks who haven't been on the tour um, or one, one of the tours, I mean, I think what's really what, – what always strikes me is the fact that you've got students in these spaces that they're talking about reading out the history of these spaces, right, and also kind of these rescripted histories, right, um, to come back to the title of the, of the, the chapter – and, and I think that's, I mean, it's just such a powerful way of having students engage with space. Um, so can you can you say a little bit, maybe just, just briefly, a little bit about what role that kind of, that presentation in space, um, kind of being in the spaces where these, these histories were made um, or often erased, right, um, as the students reveal in their research. Um, what role does that, that kind of presentation, the kind of bringing this, the second half of the course to life um, in the spaces where these yeah. histories happen? Yeah. Um, to me, it's the sort of central role that it, you know that is required for this to kind of go to make it make sense. Um, I think being in a place, sort of being physically there, being connected to there to that spot at the moment that you hear the stories, but also telling the stories of these spaces that people are normally just kind of going around that are just you know your everyday spaces um, before you know these stories. Um, I think. This is crucial both to be there. Uh, I think there's a certain there's a way in which the embodiment, the sort of the, the affect that we try to draw upon is requires you to kind of be there. But also being there together really is important as a group, um, especially in spaces that aren't normally thought of as maybe your space. And then suddenly you're like, oh, there is something here that reflects an identity or an experience that maybe I had in a place that normally I might not see or think about. And it's definitely not talked about usually. Um, so I think being there, being able to see those, and I've talked about this in the chapter, and I think other people have mentioned this, is you know some of these places you go to, and I go to now, and I can't not think about the yeah. stories. Uh-huh. Right? Every time I go by the post office, a very particular story emerges, and then that leads to another story and another story. And that's kind of the, the hope and the intent, right, yeah. that, that as you move through space and your relation to space – with these stories, it changes. And, and so both your relation changes and then that space changes. And that's kind of the like the geography and spatial sort of um, approach that I am bringing and trying to get the students to understand. And sometimes they don't even get it until we do it, right? Because we're, you know, we're thinking about it and we're writing about it. And then we have to create this thing. And it's only those last couple of weeks where we're really sort of out there and we start to realize, oh, it's different when you stand here and say it. And it's different when you stand here and say it and there's people listening and they're with you and they're supporting you and they're absorbing that. And I really do feel like it it changes how you learn and how you and how you think about those things, just being physically and experientially sort of present. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Thank you. And also the passersby too, right? Like, people yeah. are, you know, it's also always interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Occasionally yeah. somebody yeah. will, will <laughs> tail along with our group or yeah. I've had a, somebody offer to buy the booklets right oh. from us <laughs> as we were going. And I always find those really interesting and hard conversations as we're trying to yeah. deliver an actual tour. So. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. So I had the privilege of being one of Nache's students and one of the creations of the store. And I know for me, it has had such a profound impact on my relationship to campus and the broader Corvallis community and how I move through space right here. And so I think it's just such a powerful experience to be a student in the class that helps to create the tour, helped give lots of the tours over the years, and then also to be a participant, right, and see that impact. So it's really, really powerful. And I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit about the origin story of how this class came to be and sort of where the idea behind doing a social justice tour of Corvallis came from and how the class kind of came into being. Yeah. Well, first I should say it was a privilege to have you in the class (laughs) and to have you you help with so many of the subsequent touring. Um, I don't think I could have done all those, you know, dozens that we've done without you. So appreciate that. Um, uh, which is funny is a segue. Right? So the origin really was a conversation I had with Bradley. <laughs> so uh, we're sort of full circle here in terms of the, the interconnections. Um, you know, I was I had to teach this methods course, and I was really trying to think about it technically the ethno history methodology mm-hmm. right, course, and that wasn't my area of expertise, and not something I was particularly interested in doing in that way, in the traditional way that that kind of discipline or that field or subfield or interfield is, is, is sort of um, operates. But um, I had really been thinking, I had been talking with Bradley about tours and city tours and counter tours, and I wanted to do a, a counter tour. I wanted mm-hmm. to sort of upend the tours here in Corvallis that we have, which are very normative, as you might expect, but also very architecturally focused, which mm-hmm. many walking tours are. And I thought, how do I how do I do that? And then I thought, oh, how do I teach this class? And it was really Bradley who said, why don't you do those things together, right? And, I, <laughs> and it was kind of one of those moments where literally there was a light bulb above my head and and I was like, thought, oh, that was genius. Thank you, Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you have a much better memory than I do. I mean, I remember those those early conversations when we first started being really, really great and generative for me too. And um, um, so yeah, so I'm glad I'm glad I was able to turn on the light bulb. Oh, it was it was amazing. And it's honestly, like I w- couldn't have predicted. And obviously, you you know, kind of just threw it out there in a discussion almost, but like, you know, back and forth that we were having, but you know, it became this thing that now has had six distinct tours and done dozens of like individualized and personalized and customized tours and you know everyone from you know students to faculty colleagues to the presidents and provosts have all been on these and all the deans right they've been on these tours and um and that's really fascinating to think that it has had some kind of impact but that was the that was the origin just trying to figure out how do i come you know how do i do these two things that i thought were separate and realized that they could be the same Mm -hmm. and it could be actually a really great experiential learning opportunity for the students. Uh, it could be really fun for me as someone who likes doing tours but don't doesn't like standard and normative tours mm-hmm. for all the reasons that I might have critiques of them. Um, and that was it. Like Once I thought that through and put it together, honestly, I have changed very little about the course design. Um, and so it's just sort of run on, on the sort of the idea and the way that the students are able to grasp it and sort of run with it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm just I'm thinking back now to um, just how 
Yeah, I'm getting I'm a, I'm, I'm a little emotional right now. To be honest with you, it's, 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 you know, thinking back on our friendship and our our, our coll- relationship as colleagues and everything, yes. and some of those conversations that have also for me been really super generative. And um, mm-hmm. so, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So, so thinking about how you created the um, social justice tours and working with the students, um, you've also, of course, worked a lot with the archives, right? Uh, not only here at OSU, we're at the Special Collection and Archives Research Center, and a shout out to Natalia Fernandez, um, the fabulous um, archivist, uh, or one of our fabulous archivists, who uh, curates the Oregon Multicultural Archives, as well as the um, Oregon Queer Archives. Um, and so you've worked a lot with Natalia, but you've also worked with, with some of the municipal and uh, county archives, mm-hmm. I know. Um, Challenges and opportunities, right? So working with students in archives, I think we've all done that with mm-hmm. our students, right? Um, taking them to the archives um, and kind of teaching them to, to work with archival materials, to, to conduct archival research. What challenges and opportunities does archival research present um, in thinking about social justice education and pedagogies? Um, yeah, what, yeah, just I'll leave it there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a huge question. And there's like possibly a hundred different ways to answer this, but <laughs> I would... I mean, I'm thinking the, the biggest challenge always is for the, the types of stories that we're trying to tell, the, time to, the type of archival materials we're looking for is that we just don't find them, right? The archives, are, well, I, I like to say the archives are not cooperative, huh. right? There's a lot of gaps. There's a lot of blank spaces. And so it's great to be able to go into archives and find amazing things and craft these narratives out of them. But oftentimes there's there's very little. And then the question, and this is where a lot of the, course is sort of pivots and the the sort of main turning point is realizing well you don't always need that much right sometimes those gaps and those absences or those hints are just enough and you know several of our stories emerge out of very very small amounts of information that are available that are that are archived but ideally we'd have so much more right and it would be Lovely to have, you know, stumble upon this rich archive that nobody knows about and we can really sort of craft this lovely narrative and, you know, reveal all these sort of hidden, (laughs) you know, stories. But the reality is that most of the time we're dealing with little scraps and things that were excluded or that were just not valued enough to to be placed in the archives in the first place. Um, I should say one of the things that's it's neither a challenge or I guess it's an opportunity is that then the materials that we use, the things that we create, they themselves become archival, mm-hmm. right? We, and that's a conscious thing that we do. We, we, the things that we create, the tour itself, the product as a collection itself becomes a new archival sort of doc, set of documents that then goes back in. Um, and that's pretty exciting. So yeah, we, you know, we do that with the archive here at OSU because there's so much overlap between the, the, the local town and the university, but also in the Benton County Historical mm-hmm. Society. And then depending on the subject, you may end up, you know, cooperating with other archives that are, you know, where materials are housed somewhere that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we, you know, I know early on we had an early sort of uh, gay rights activist, for example, who had materials here. He was a professor here, but he moved to L.A. And, you know, a lot of his work happened in L.A. And really sort of important, influential person, but a lot of the archives were down in Los Angeles. And so, you know, our, our students had to kind of follow those trails. So those are those are the opportunities for them to sort of think about, well, what are the relations between different kinds of archives and how do you actually follow that? Um, for me, the challenge is I've done a couple stories in the years is like the challenge for me is opening literally any box or any folder that we have in any archive and not finding a story immediately. <laughs> so, I, you know, that's the frustrating part is just seeing how many possibilities. Now that I've seen how 
how much can emerge from so little. Every time I open a document, I go, oh, this would be interesting. And sometimes they immediately lead to a story. Sometimes they just, they begin a trail that leads somewhere much further down the road. But um, yeah, it's it's a, I think it's an exciting opportunity for students to sort of really go in and see like what what is here and how do you read this stuff and uh, where does it go from here? That's great. I think it also really underscores um, kind of what some of our conversations with Nana Kelly when we were thinking about how to how to divide the chapters up in the volume, right? Yeah. That that really your chapter, Nachi's chapter, and Natalia's chapter. Uh, one of the reasons we decided to put them first is really is that uh, is to to think of archives and history as a starting point, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also not to see them as as limited to that. But also you know just to kind of underscore what what I think you were saying, Nachi, is that archives are also about the future, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. when we're thinking about using archives with our students. Um, with a, a kind of focus on on justice, right, mm-hmm. or transformative education, that archives aren't just about learning about the past, but they are also yeah. about transforming the future, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the main principles I I convey to the classes. Yeah. And we read a piece from uh, Michelle Rolf Trujillo, mm-hmm. who's a you know anthropologist historian, and you know, and really the point is that I say that the, that all the things of the past are about the present. That's all they are. The history is about the present, nothing more, nothing less, which is why you can take a small piece of something and then move forward with it, especially when we're talking about these these issues of social justice because whatever we represent as history is a reflection of what we think is valuable, of what matters, of Mm -hmm. what's worth noting, what's worth archiving, what's worth telling a story about. Um, And so every moment we're making statements and we're, we're sort of exposing our value systems and structures. And so we can do that, you know, with these things in mind and say, this is why this matters. Even if it's something small, it matters for this reason, right? Or this is why we need more materials on this because this is something we have ignored for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah. thank you. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the role of relationship and community building in this course, right? We sort of form a relationship with the archives and with the subjects of the stories that we are crafting in the class. Also with each other as students, with you, with the broader sort of community, right? Like, can you just talk a little bit about how you view that role of relationships and community in this course and in the process of creating and giving the tours? Yeah. I I mean, I think Relationships, and I always pair relationships with responsibilities mm-hmm. as as sort of a core ethical kind of positioning that happens with the class, right? I mean, as you mentioned, I think the course itself, right, the, the students are developing a relationship with each other through their stories, through their co-editing and their revision work and their sort of suggestions. And their, it really is a collaborative workspace that we create and we let it sort of unfold in the way that it needs to unfold. And... Um, sort of observe what people are doing and make as many suggestions as possible. So there's a, there is a really, it's it's not a co- it's not a competitive space. It's a cooperative space, which is all about relationships. And then with the materials themselves, right? So you know we often get into discussions or what are our relationships, what are our responsibilities to various stories that we might want to tell. Mm-hmm. So you know oftentimes like okay, there's a white student who wants to tell a story about uh, someone in the 1800s who's black in Corvallis. How do they do that in a way that's respectful, responsible, um, and it allows them to sort of be able to dig into that and tell the story, but also navigate those questions about representation and sort of power dynamics. And and that happens in many cases where people sometimes don't want to tell a particular story because they don't feel like they can figure out the access point for them to tell it in a way that makes sense and that feels right. 
those are legit conversations that we have. So like we have to have good set of relationships going in to be able to have those very difficult conversations to figure out people's points of, of comfort and discomfort and to, to sometimes interrogate, like, is this really, or is it the way you do it? Maybe you need to shift. Mm-hmm. Right. And so those are all sort of predicated on the kind of relationships that we're going to build and that we're going to sort of expect and sort of we're going to hold each other accountable, but not in a sort of punishing kind of way, but in a, mm-hmm. like, we want to help us figure this out together. So, um, and that, you know, I think we also think about the relationship and the responsibility to the space, you know, the, where we are, how do we, how do we move forward in a way that makes sense for everyone? Mm-hmm. Um, and that does work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. So, so thinking about your chapter, um, what do you hope people take away from it? Readers, um, what do you hope readers will take away from it in terms of their own context, right? So, you know, obviously um, the chapter deals a lot with space and mm-hmm. pedagogical approaches to space and rethinking space and history. So it's not something that just has to be limited to Corvallis, Oregon or OSU. Yeah. So what, what are some of the things that you would suggest uh, yeah. readers take away? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, all the contexts of previous tours and things that I've been on were in really diverse and large urban spaces. And so I don't think I realized when we came in that this was even possible, a place like this. And now I'm on the other side of it where I feel like if we can do this here, we can do this anywhere. Yeah. Or someone else could do this anywhere. This is a, you know, this is a fairly non- diverse space and has been for a long time in a lot of in a lot of categories um, and yet now at this point we've you know developed 60 stories or whatever it is and and there are many many more that are just waiting that I have in pocket and that that other people will come up with and other people just have not picked up for whatever reason that I know of um, and so I think the takeaway is that if this is something people think might be useful this there's it can be done for sure it's way easier than I thought um, once you open up to the possibility of allowing those gaps and those silences to sometimes speak in different ways. If you try to be true to just, you know, if we're just documenting, you know, archived and approved, you know, materials, then yeah, you might not have much. But if you allow yourself to tell a story around that, that isn't just, just the facts, quote unquote, that are documented somewhere, but thinking about the broader implications and the stories and the possibilities and what we call speculative nonfiction, right? It's it opens up a lot of possible ways to, to retell things. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Is there anything that we haven't asked you about that you really want to talk about while we have you here today and thinking about your chapter and the work of social justice, education and pedagogies in this moment and the role of the social justice tour? Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think just keeping in mind the experiential learning element is just really important. Yeah. Like I think that it makes for a very different educational learning experience and mm-hmm. I encourage people to like push the push the envelope on those possibilities. Think about how do you take this out and then in that in line with that, right, thinking about how those real world real world interfaces or interventions can can be a part of that. Like I think one of the things I try to do is if, as many classes as I can is have a product, an outcome that isn't just confined to the class and me, mm-hmm. but is out and is available to other people to see. Students respond to that. I think they respond in knowing that other people are going to see this in a case like this, that this is going to be archived, <laughs> right? that they are going to become part of the archive. Their names will be attached to this, mm-hmm. that they are connected to communities mm-hmm. that are going to be interested in these things. And so they feel the weight and the responsibility, but also the the excitement and the energizing force of 
trying to do that work well. Um, I think it's like tapping into those internal sort of motivations that people have to do good things, to make a difference, um, to have something concrete that they can look at and be proud of and that potentially can last. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think just looking at the bigger picture of the outcome of it, I think that's what I would leave with. Awesome. Thank you so much, Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of Transforming the College Classroom. Next episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. Amy Collinger and Kryn Freeling Burton about their chapter on religious bias, Christian privilege, and anti-Muslimism. Stay tuned. We'd like to thank Orange Media Network and their podcast director, Jen Durston. This podcast is sponsored by the Difference Power and Discrimination Program. More information on the DPD program, our book, and the transcripts for this podcast are available at dpd.oregonstate.edu. Listen to us on any of your preferred podcast platforms. Continuous learning and growth is critical to educators with deep commitments to fostering critical consciousness through their teaching. Join the conversation. Mm -hmm.